What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Drinks and Dogs. Uh, going to start off a little bit different. This is episode 37. 37. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Kitty working on his Spanish. Or at least the new, the number one, the number game. I can count. Okay. So, as usual, you got myself, monotone Mike Jones, and um, the voice of Drinks and Dogs. <laughs> the voice of Drinks and Dogs, essentially, Katie Matthews. I, I bring that up because um, I don't. Oh, I, I, I should have screenshotted you this, but you know how we put like the shorts or like the IG reels. So yeah. they put they put them on YouTube too for like the. For like the shorts because you have to like do that for the whole algorithm on youtube right like constantly posting like the shorts on it and then uh, i get email notifications when people comment on it and someone's like bro you got to start talking more it to make this shit work or something like that <laughs> like that because it was like a it was when you were going like on a rant thing and he's like trying to make you got to make this thing interesting you know it can't just be one-sided or whatever and i just like wrote i wrote back because it's the, through the ptv network uh, I just put, I was like, me, like, you know, I, you know, in whatever quotations, me, Mike Jones, I'm trying, bro. <laughs> I'm trying bro, to make shit funny. So it's always yeah. interesting. Oh, God, I love criticism. Oh, I just thought it was funny. Makes, I was like, yeah. It makes the world go around. It's, you know, it's good. It's good. So how, um, how are things been with you, bro? Same. Same. Oh, I got a question for you. Um, what up? Do you cook? Are you a cook? Like, do you cook much? Yeah. I mean, I cook my meal prep. Like, I'm not like a, I wouldn't call myself like a cook. I mean, I can cook. Have you ever made something like you saw something, it caught your eye, you made it, and it was just like, whoa. During the pandemic, yeah. I got really into like, cooking stuff like just like steaks um and then uh, my instagram like I, I always joke around with the guys about this like my instagram feed essentially is just like cooking it like reels and like bow hunting and you know stuff like that but during uh the pandemic i really got into like the sous vide stuff so i was like you know doing a lot of whatever we call like reverse searing of steaks and uh i actually didn't cook this last one but aaron we found we got an air fryer and then I saw these like little uh, the meal prep things where they're like, make yourself a high protein, low carb McChicken, you know, healthy McChicken. And Aaron made it a spicy McChicken one. And like that one, I was like, I probably bugged her for about a solid two weeks of like, uh, babe, can we, can we get some, can we do some more McChickens or whatever? But yeah, I definitely know what you're saying. So not too long ago, I went out, I bought a not sponsored by. Blackstone Grill. Like, first off, game changer. Great, complete game changer. Is that like the flat ones? Yeah, it's like a flat top grill. Yeah, it's not, excuse me, it's not a grill. It's a griddle. So it's a okay. big slab of, you know, like griddle. Like if you were to go to Waffle House and where they're cooking everything. Um, so I bought one of those. Just, like I said, game changer. Then I got into, and it was interesting because I was having a, a, a fun chat with uh, Howard Young about this um, because he discovered the beauty of the smash burger, of making your own smash burger. Now, are, are you familiar with 
what a smash burger is versus a regular hamburger? Yes, very okay. much so. I follow Juicy Burgers on Instagram. Shout, so, shout out to them. Him and I have had some interesting chats, kind of exchanging like little ideas. Well, so I've been making smash burgers. Well, then the other day, one of my clients, uh, she always shares, she's always cooking stuff, right? And so she shared this post of smash burger street tacos. Ooh. Oh, you see, yeah. Dude, I didn't even do it to the full extent of what was done in the the video, the instructional. I just kind of like threw together my version of it. First try. It They came out so good that right before this episode, and that's what brought this up because I'm like still sucking pieces out of my teeth. Right before this episode, I just slammed two of them out of the refrigerator ice cold. I didn't even heat them up. They were Dang. so good. I just crushed them cold. I just get like a little tortilla. And now I'll probably play with the idea. And like, because I bought flour ones, I said, let's just make it good. Never mind health. Um, now I'll look for some like non-flour base, like try the corn or try to like some of my own. I've made some like carnivore bread in the past, which is actually made okay. out of like eggs and shredded chicken breast. And you can make like tortillas out of chicken breast and egg. Dude, send me that recipe. I mean, uh, that sounds super interesting to me. Yeah, I got it from, there's a great book um, by Paul Saladino who love him, hate him, you know. <laughs> yeah. He, he's gotten very um he's kind of, he's gotten out there a bit from where he started i just mm. i just credit that to he's playing with social media and he's building a name but some a lot of what he says you know hey i don't throw babies out with bathwater. you know um there's a lot of good stuff in what he talks about but he made a carnivore cookbook and it's right. solid you don't even have to be on the carnivore diet if you just want to eat more meat like get really good recipes and good ideas for how to get creative with meat-based stuff and get away from flours and grains yeah. like, it's a great it's a great cookbook to have on hand totally totally vouch for that cookbook but in it there's different types of bread type things you can make out of um, chicken breast uh, another one is uh, pork rinds now, I love pork rinds. If you get some really good pork rinds and then you put them in a food processor, it makes like like pork rind flour. You can imagine a dry pork rind put through a food processor. It's like dust, yeah. right? Well, you throw egg in that, and what do you have? You got a batter. Yeah, easy enough. Yeah, and I mean, I've made pork rind pancakes before, which was awesome with a little bit of honey on it, like, um, I've made pork rind pancakes with like a blueberry compote or compote, whatever that is, like a little little I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like you take the berries, you put them in like a, uh, like a saucepan, you reduce them, and then you put some like I used a little bit of maple syrup actually, like pure maple syrup, a little splash of that in there, and made like a blueberry compote and put that over top of the um, pork rind pancakes, like. Dude, but anyway, yeah, Smash Burger Street Tacos, that's what's up with me. And I'm feeling very satiated at the moment as I sip on my espresso. Do you notice that the when you go through, like, healthy, I don't want to use the word kicks, but, like, when you start pushing, like, you know, you start getting really healthy, you're, you're working out consistently, you're focused on your diet, that you start to get more infatuated with, like, 
cooking food, specific foods or looking at foods. Like yeah, it's one of the things. Yeah. It's always like, that's something that's always happened. Anytime I've gotten, like, I go through like the spurts of like, all right, cool. Like, you know, it's usually when I'm not injured or something like that. I'm like, all right, we're working out. We're trying to maximize all the the different, you know, physical things I'm working on. And I, I get super geeked out on just like food and I start just cooking like random stuff. So I'm looking up, uh, I'm going to start looking up carnivore bread and I got a bag of epic pork rinds uh, in my pantry right now. So about to chop some of that up in our little food processor and see how that Dude, goes. I'm all about the food processor and like, like when you, when you make some chicken breast and chicken breast, like I'm not a big fan of chicken breast literally the day after you cook it, it gets a funky kind of unique flavor to it. It's not bad. It's just, it's like day old chicken. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can choke it down for a little bit cause I usually put it in the Instapot and shred it. But um, if I have some breast, like whole breasts that are just like uh, they're getting dry dude i throw them bad boys in the food processor with a little bit of avocado mayo and some onions and some relish or pickle dude you can make it's like the food <laughs> processor just brings everything back to life there you go so <laughs> the first part of drinks and dogs is sponsored by food processors processors and cookbooks <laughs> dude have you ever had a chicken shake no no Okay, so there's this bodybuilder. Um, I can't remember. Seth so Ferrochi. Seth Ferrosi, Ferrochi, whatever. He's got a great YouTube channel. Like, entertaining. Very entertaining. Um, he, I found this through him. Like, when he was competing, you know, they're, they're consuming stupid yeah. amounts of food. Like, I don't understand. I could never like, no. And one of the ways he would get like, he would hit his protein numbers is he takes cooked chicken breast and puts it in the blender. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh. and, and mixes it with like water. And I did it one time. And I, I mean, I could, I, I made it like I was making a, a real dinner, like it was chicken breast. <clears throat> I actually used some chicken broth and a little bit of water, um, salt, pepper, and some like a mustard-based sauce. And I put it all in the blender and got like one of those big like milkshake straws and just pounded it down. Dude. <laughs> If I ever break my jaw and have my mouth wired shut, I will hit my protein macros. I will. Is it's it doable though? Bad. It's doable. It's doable. It's, okay. it's absolutely. Okay. So the, the thing is, is it's like so many things. It's like mental. It's mental. Like you're saying like instantly when I said it, dude, you kind of made a face. You were Ooh. Yep. because the con like drinking chicken drink chicken those two words instantly create in like almost an aversive response like oh you don't drink chicken you chew it i think and it's like a lot of like for the longest time remember it was like over like what 15 years ago probably 15 20 years ago that's like remember like raw chicken salmonella like all that other at least over here in california like that was like a huge thing like make sure you cook that's when like the whole mad cow disease thing was going on like so chicken for the longest time at least ingrained in me especially when we were like when i was cutting weight a lot you know, you're constantly eating lean meats like chicken and turkey. 
and like that raw chicken thought process was always like salmonella or like you know diseases or you're gonna end up getting sick or some shit like that so to me already when you say that i'm like well just ooh. wait to clarify the chicken is cooked yeah to clarify like before anybody does anything rash like no the, it's cooked chicken breast it's just like maybe a day old or something or you can do it actually fresh like it's just, it's cooked so there's none of none of that funky stuff but um yeah once you get past the fact that you're drinking chicken i mean think about it people that do have like issues with their jaw or mouth or have surgery yeah they have to do that stuff so like why yeah. not now it isn't something i would do for fun all the time but um <laughs> it's definitely if you gotta if you gotta lose some weight and like right before this before we got on today i was doing a little bit of work and um I have, dude, I have like so many old dog training videos. Like my computer, my hard drive is stupid full. And I'm just looking for some stuff in particular, trying to organize. And you ever find, you ever go back through old stuff and then you find, you know, whether it's video or photo of yourself when you looked a lot better or when you were in a lot better shape. Like I just had one of those moments. It was only three years ago. And I was like, <laughs> And I'm looking at my, I'm like watching this video and I'm talking and I'm like, I don't even wear that t-shirt anymore because I, it, it's pretty embarrassing when I put it on. Like <laughs> the sleeves are loose and the belly's tight. And I'm like, and here I'm looking at this video. I'm like all jacked. I'm like, dang, I looked like that. It was only three years ago. Oh man, I need to make a chicken shake. Well, it's funny that you brought that up because I was going through our YouTube page. Uh, this, what is today? Tuesday, last week end of uh, last week and I was going through it and we take a lot of the stuff off of it or it's no longer publicly like shown right so I went through some of like the very first like things I've ever put out this is before like Instagram uh I think like Facebook we had Facebook was Facebook was going on actually no yeah Facebook was going on um I think MySpace was still around but I started making these videos of me and my like these pits and some of the boarding trains I had and this is like 11 this is before it was called Primal Canine. This is like Mike Jones, like dog training or something like that. And it's, I have to send you this video. It's pretty, it's pretty, oh, dolphin noise, sorry, G. It's pretty hilarious because it's literally, is me when I was still competing and 11, 12 years ago. And I was like, because mind you guys, like when I competed, I used to fight at 170. And I typically walk around at, like right now I'm about 210, 215. And I'm like right now I'm 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 really healthy. I'm pretty healthy. But I would make the cut to 170. So I was probably walking around 200, 190, 195, because I was always doing jujitsu stuff or you know, getting ready for something. But you know, I was like papered thin. I looked and I had full head of hair. So I looked at it, I was like, oh darn it. <laughs> so I had uh, two plus more dogs because so that was Marilyn and Bear. And then I had uh, a lot more hair. So yeah, it's funny to bring that up. <laughs> One seventy—that's sketchy, man. That's Dude. sketchy. Uh, well, for once... you, like, I mean, I'd be fine at that because I'm not a big guy. But like, dude, one seventy when you walk around in twos. Mm. Yeah, man, and like, I'm pretty like if I get into like between two ten and two o five, like I I get pretty lean. But one seventy, I have to whatever the Facebook memories uh, pop up some way ins. I'll send you a, a picture of it. I look like a freaking bobblehead doll. It's just like all emaciated in this giant head. Like, how the hell am I keeping that thing up? Just doesn't 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 work out that way. 
Well, I've been noticing on your social media a little bit. I, I This is my perception of what I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing a little bit more content of you training, like not dogs, like doing the rolling. Cause I know I've sent you a few messages teasing you about, you know, put the gi on and stuff. Are, are you, have you been actively deliberately training more? Yeah. No, I'm, it's one of those, it's kind of like a, you know, we talked about this like a few podcasts ago. Like, I just wanted to find things, go back to things that were making me like, you know, happy and balanced, like in my head and like, you know, things where I can kind of like, express certain things out and the the one thing i've always missed uh when i wasn't training uh was not necessarily the aspect of training like jujitsu or striking uh was just the camaraderie when i used to train and fight for fairtex uh under leopoldo sorrell uh, and like training in those camps and like being around like the guys and like you know beating each other up you know like i missed like that element you know it was something that was like really important to me uh for a long period of my life and when i when i got away from it I started noticing different things where it irritate me a little bit different. I'd be a lot more short temper, like just like, you know, elements of it. So it always trickle it in here and there and then find, yeah. And then finally, like around like, or like this, after I got done with that freaking mental breakdown, I had at the end of the year and the injuries. I was like, you know what, man? I was like, I got to stop playing this game of like, I, maybe I don't need to do it all the time. And like, maybe, you know, I'll just kind of trickle in here. There I was like, I'm just going to just dedicate going back to just doing this and, keeping it a part of my normal daily or my weekly staple and kind of like an anchor. So I'm back to training. I train with Leo, uh, Leopoldo, uh, and, uh, uh, coach Carlos, uh, every Monday we do a list last yesterday. We did like seven rounds, six minute rounds of, uh, rolling no gi, your favorite. And then, uh, six, six minute rounds of, uh, bo <laughs> boxing and, uh, Muay Thai. But, I'm much, much happier when I get to hit things and choke people. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, I'm definitely back and I don't see myself uh, leaving it anytime soon. Cause you know, aggressive Mike is a happy Mike, I guess you can say. See, and for me, I get the same result, but for a different reason. Like is... for me, the stress relief isn't the application of violence. Um, for me, the stress relief is the problem solving involved in someone projecting violence upon me or not i mean i shouldn't even call it violence because that's a whole we've talked about that back in season yeah season. like it's i don't consider and this is just me in my vernacular um i don't consider most of what we do in grappling to be violent um it can be if we change the rules but i think a lot of just aggressive cuddling yeah, it's <laughs> I, I just think it's because of my experiences with certain individuals who have taught me about like what real violence is. Yeah. And then my own personal experiences with violence and like, oh yeah, that's not what we're doing in jujitsu. But what what I get out of it is the massive amount of problem solving that is taking place another reason why i prefer gi and for those who don't know when we're talking about gi no gi gi is like the big heavy pajamas made of like a linen cotton material that it doesn't rip it's heavy as heck it's very durable yeah. you where you you can either wear that or you go no gi which is like whatever there's nothing to hold on to um it's another besides I mean, sweaty men besides sweaty men um <laughs> 
there's a list of reasons why I prefer ghee, especially yeah. now as I get older. Um, but one of the main reasons that I've always preferred ghee was I found it to be so much more of chess. I found it to be incredibly problem solving centric. If that's if that makes I don't make sense. Um, like no, it does. There's way more problems to solve because of all the holds and all the different things and the chokes and the the fact that you're wearing these pajamas that can be used against you, and in well, many definitely. ways, it's your brain is like nonstop problem solving. So, you know, I've said it over and over again. Like I would always drive home slower than I drove there. And it isn't as much for me the I'm getting rid of violent energy or I'm getting rid of stress through exercise or aggression. It's I'm getting rid of stress because I don't have time. I don't have the, excuse me, there's zero bandwidth available when someone's trying to choke you unconscious, break your arms and legs <laughs> or wrist lock you. Um, like there's there's no bandwidth. There's no space yeah. left. So when you get done with that, you're so balanced and your energy is just so chill. Like there's, cause there was, you got rid of every problem in your freaking life is yeah. gone. And then you're in a better state when those problems start to creep back in. You're like, yeah, that's nothing, man. Like tomorrow night, someone's going to try to rip my head off. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've spoken about jujitsu, you know, throughout the years through my platforms of dog training media because it's it's a there's a massive overlap between what we experience in jujitsu or any activity that requires that level of problem solving and keeping our dogs balanced keeping our dogs healthy uh keeping our dogs you know if we're working with weaker dogs or insecure dogs building them building their stability building increasing their resilience to stress their resilience to things that are outside of their control it's the same thing man i do the same thing with dogs like obstacle courses giving them things to do um like it calms them down i think that so i mean like there's a lot there because I mean, there's a lot there i mean like with you know starting with jujitsu and everything like that like would jujitsu you know exactly what you said you know it is you, there's nothing else to think about you know like when you're when you're rolling like for me like obviously like i, I roll with like leopoldo Sorau, um you know it's been a mentor of mine for a long time a long time uh jujitsu black belt or luther lever back black belt um, which is essentially nogi jujitsu uh for those who don't know luther lever is like the origination of nogi jujitsu uh you know, it's a Brazilian, you know, born sport type of a thing. But rolling with him, it's like, you know, you don't really get time to deal with. And we talked about this before, just as being dog trainers, dog trainers and business people, you know, all the taxes, the employee stuff, the market, you know, whatever, everything that comes with running a business uh, or multiple business in our cases, you know, it's it all fades away because you're trying to not get a limb or uh, broken off or choked out by a large sweaty man <laughs> man or someone who's way more talented in you know the art of grappling uh so you're 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 problem solving you're focusing and you know you're using a lot of physical strength so for me it checks a lot of boxes off when we're doing that 
uh, now it's well, we'll kind of sidetrack here, but my funny story, uh, Katie, when I first uh, put a gi on, so I had already been training, let's see, six years, five years, five years with Leo uh, at Fairtex, and just I'd never put a gi on before this with uh, Leo just in no gi doing loot delivery stuff. Uh, I moved uh, further south uh, from where Fairtex was, or no, Fairtex was gone, so they're in San Francisco. So I was in San Jose, and I went to a gym called uh, Heroes, uh, ran by Professor Alan Marquis, uh, more commonly known as Gumby. He started uh, the you know the brand OTM on the mat, so he was one of the original founders of OTM, and he started a club called or the gym called Heroes. So I heard really good things about. Uh, Gumby's gym, all that other stuff. So I went in there and it's all, it's all for me coming from Nogi and coming from Fairtex where it's all large guys. Like I was one of the smallest guys in Fairtex and our jujitsu on, on the mat. And there's, there's 15 of us, like 15 of the team at that time. And I was this, I was one of the smallest guys there and it's everything smash. You know, the new guy comes in at the gym at Fairtex. Leo's like, looks at you, gives it the look like, all right, you're going to smash him. You know, it's, it was that type of atmosphere, you know, that we were a part of, right? Lots of pressure, everything like that. So I go, you know, I try to, you know, obviously went in open-minded, going to be humble about, you know, things. And, you know, I started over and I've never done gi before. So I started over. I told them, I was like, y'all wear a white belt. It's fine. They put the, you know, do the, put the white belt on, go in there. I didn't talk about any of the stuff that I'd done before. Then you, know, you start going in and you do what you do in no gi, which is usually smash and pass, a lot of pressure techniques, things of that nature. And I started getting finding myself getting caught in like positions like I'm passing through a calf guard into side control. And next thing you know, I'm getting choked. So then I'm like trying to grab a hold of something. So I'm like, what the hell's going on? Pulling the pulling like the freaking like collar back. I'm like, I had to like reset myself. And I just you know, I'm known for like guillotines. You know, that's why I have a tattoo on my arm. So like I just started going into guillotines in like survival mode. And I uh, one of the one of the Things I think it was like the first week of of doing gi. I rolled with a guy named uh, I think it was Flexi Mike. Uh, Mike Nguyen. Shout out to Mike Nguyen. He's he has a gym now over here. I'll, once I remember the name of the gym, I'll uh, plug it for him. But smaller guy, really lanky. You know, non not not saying the bad, but like not intimidating. You know, type of a thing. Dude, in five minutes, this dude tapped me like ten times. Just with my own equipment too, like I'm pretty positive I got tapped by my own belt at one point in time, or or something like that. But I at that point I like I had a whole new, not that I didn't appreciate you know geeks obviously like it wasn't like oh you know geeks lower than no gi. It's like just it just was different things, and it was just one of those things where I was like dang I was like there's a whole level of technique that comes with this, uh, that I in my opinion utilizing both. Because even after, you know, I trained at Heroes for a while, and then I opened a gym with my ex-brother-in-law, Arash Dibazar, who was a black belt under Batata, uh, you know, and that they're all in Gi. So when I started teaching over there and, you know, working different things, the technical aspect of what I learned from wearing a Gi and combining it with this, essentially the the wrestling and the just the sheer force and strength of no Gi definitely like help create my game to be a lot more technical than what it was and a lot more aware of certain submissions, but it created it the bet. The, the thing that I liked about it the most was that it created a different mental mind state for me instead of going in and be like smash, 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 kill, 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 do all these things, you know, grab the arm, you know, do all this stuff like that. It slowed things down to where it was a lot more of a technical approach. 
and it also helped with a lot of like my mental approach to certain elements of things right because it no it shifted that i don't want to say like aggression aspect of things or aggression thought process it shifted that thought process to more of a calm controlled thought process and and like in essentially in ground fighting which kind of cultivated you know the style of decoy that i have in in working dogs and training with dogs so it all kind of transferred into that uh world and it's you know created what we do now in primal canine and street league and all the other stuff that we do like everything's much more thought out because of those elements of nogi and gi jiu-jitsu and just the the thought process and the technique of it but a uh, side note to that i definitely i don't know what you're talking about getting older and wanting to use a gi man like the older i get out the more i want to go nogi because i got hurt way more in the gi way more like the amount of digits i got stuck inside of like gi pants or like rolling with like staticky like white belts and like you know there's you know you're just like freaking you know, rope burn here <laughs> like this or like your finger stuck in a gi or like you know just all all that other fun stuff that comes with wearing pajamas no that just comes with experience man like when you first put it on after not wearing it for a while yeah for about a month your knuckles are raw because of the grips because you're gripping yep. So the in the like the first row usually it's the first row of knuckles. There's no skin left on them, and then it's it become it, white. <laughs> it hardens up. Now I will say this: like I'm sure you know, if you meet someone who's done over ten years in a gi, like I mean ten years, like training three to four times a week. Yeah, like their their hands are shot. Like I will say that. Like you when you look at all the older Gracies, like th their knuckles. Like the yeah, amount like of arthritis, gang signs. <laughs> yeah, like their gi destroys your your digits in the knuckles. Um, massive amounts of arthritis. You will wake up in the morning with claws, as do they uncramp from the night before. Outside of that, I just like for me, it's it's to me it's safer because you mentioned something like when you started doing it, and what you just mentioned in terms of the takeaway that you got from gi, it is slower. In general, I mean, it, you can do anything fast, yeah. but in general, it's a little bit more methodical. It is a little slower. And I find like, especially if I'm going with younger guys, um, I, I typically don't go with, if you're bigger and inexperienced, I stay away from those guys now, like big new guys. I don't, I generally don't mess with, cause that's how you get hurt. Um, if you're bigger than me, but you're my level or above, I'll roll with you all day. Cause I know, you know what you're doing. You're not going to do dumb stuff, but generally the gi allows when you get that spazzy, frisky, younger, faster, stronger, it's like, you just get your grips and you're like, slow down, young fella. I get it. You just came from no gi class. We do things <laughs> a little slower over here. Okay. Here's a little choke. Okay. Are you, are you, are you feeling better now? Can you slow down? Like the gi just kind of, it's like an equalizer. Whereas no gi is just wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Um, but I'm not as much as I prefer it. I'm, and I'm not like this in dog training. I've never been. I'm not like this with anything. Like, I'm not a, like, one of, like, culty. I guess culty is the word. Like, I'm not culty towards, like, anything. Not truck brands. That's something guys get real culty about. Um, martial art disciplines. Gi or no gi. To me, both of them are immensely valuable. Do I have a preference? Of course I have a preference. But uh, my takeaway is no gi will sharpen your offense 
in general, obviously with gi, you got chokes and things that you don't have with no gi. But let's just talk about grappling in general. No gi sharpens your offense. Why? Because it's easier to escape in in general in no gi because of sweat and there's no there's no clothing grips. So if you get someone stronger, faster, younger, whatever, more explosive, if you do not launch your submission appropriately, perfectly, if your sequences are not perfectly timed, they're going to get out. There's just way too much wiggle room, literally and figuratively, right? So Nogi sharpens your offense because you your attacks must be precise. Gi sharpens your defense because it's the complete opposite. So if you get caught in a sloppy arm bar, like they don't execute it quite right, they're, they're, they're trying to find it. They're trying yeah. to settle in. And in Nogi, you're like, yeah, buddy. In Gi, you have the friction of your Gi against theirs. So if their execution isn't that great, they can still kind of hold on to the position a little bit because there's so much friction. There's so many ways to you can hold a guy in a certain position while you work on the submission. So your defense has to be great, which I think likens itself to what you were saying about it slows down your, you have to be more methodical. It slows you down a little bit because if you screw up in gi and put yourself in a bad position, it's way harder to get out, which means you either get, you, you not either, one, you're better about not getting put in bad positions. And two, your escapes must be technically sound. When you perform an escape maneuver, it has to be the way it's supposed to work because if you suck at it, the friction of the gi and all the handles, you're not getting out. Does that make sense? You can get, you, I find yourself getting into more traps in the gi. It's more of a trapping game, you know, like if you're, especially if you, like for me, it's no gi was always kind of a, old until now. Um, no gi was always, I always played top. I, I hated playing bottom uh, just because it was just never really like a comfortable position for me to be in uh, with that stuff. But then I noticed once I went into gi, uh, oh, well, that and well, now I now I can only play bottom because Leo says well, since I only trained once a week with him over there, he's like, you got to start at the bottom because those are the weak points for me. But in the beginning, like it was always top. So like, you know, it's like pressure passing and things of that nature. But then when I learned a lot more gi stuff, I started becoming more comfortable with uh gi on the bottom because there was like you're saying there's a little more methodical uh, nature and then you can transition at least transitioning submissions and you know setting traps and the gi is a little bit easier because you can slow things down you can transition a little bit different because of those grips um and you know i didn't i never was like you know oh never i was nor will ever be like one of those like wizardry type of jujitsu guys where you know they're constantly switching or switching and transitioning into different styles or, you know, going to Baron Bolos. And then, you know, you're in some form of spider guard. Next, you know, like you're doing like, I look like a puppet or like their hands or arms are here. Then I'm do doing this thing. Like, you know, those guys are the transitions and the the technique uh, from the Gi guys was always pretty, pretty awesome. And then, you know, I see the same thing in like no Gi too. I mean, like, Rolling with Leo and the the monsters he has over at the Sorrel Academy in Nogi, like doing some of the stuff that they do that I learned in Gi and like just the transitions. I mean, this the sport in general has evolved so incredibly, like so much, so much more than what I remember it from when I first started. And I see that a lot in, you know, these guys who come in from Brazil 
that Leo brings in, like Lucas and Carlos and uh, a bunch of the other guy in Francisco, these other guys. I mean, like just the technique, the technical aspect of it. You know, I think it's, I think it is from a culmination of, you know, everyone is now, because before, you know, with Guy and no Guy and, you know, the whole Creonte thing uh, before, and I think that I see this in dog training too, the transition. And I, I kind of see the comparisons and some of it is that there was kind of like, you know, more of a culty thought process, like to where you, like what you're talking about, where it's like no Guy this or Luta Livre versus Jiu Jitsu and all these other, um, you know, issues that were coming into it. And now seeing, and I, I, I credit this a little bit to social media is now seeing where the, everyone kind of is working together. There isn't this Creonte uh, thought process where if you go train in another gym, you know, you're a Creonte, which is like a trader. And then you can only train with your, your, you know, your, your group of guys and like, that's it. But I've seen this, you know, the transitions, the thing becoming a lot more evident, the success of the transitions become a lot more evident and, jiu-jitsu nowadays with some of these like newer guys and everything like that too because i mean i see it in the guys that i train with all the time and actually you know i'm like these dudes are a little bit smaller than me and actually you know i'm like i'm all the noise i'm getting rolled around and somehow someone has my back when i was just on top a second ago or and i'm between my legs and now i'm in like some form of like you know ankle lock or knee bar or you know <laughs> heel hook just from the certain things but just the you see it like i said you kind of see it in dark trainer too like where you have more talk more different styles of training becoming combined into one, which is like formulated all this new stuff and not new stuff, but a uh, new styles, I guess you would say. Well, you just said something that just made me think of something where there's an incredibly uh, interesting parallel between the two. Right. And so I came up in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which, you know, I started under one of Hoist Gracie's first black belts. It was very, traditional this is in 2005 at the time anything other than a straight knee bar or an ankle lock you know an achilles lock anything other than that was frowned upon not officially but it was just kind of like why are you messing with feet why, why are you messing with the feet oh you're one of those guys and it was it was a social thing, right? It was a yep. social cultural thing. We're messing with feet and doing all the leg locks was just ugh. meanwhile. Are you familiar with catch wrestling? Yeah. Meanwhile, the catch wrestlers, aka pain wrestling, I got to learn catch wrestling from Carl Malenko. Um one of the original Malenko brothers, like trained under Carl Gotch, like Carl Gotch lived with them. It's as pure catch as catch can as you can get. And that's who I got to learn some catch wrestling from. Meanwhile, those guys are absolute savages in everything they do in grappling, including the feet. And I had a, a buddy of mine who at the time was training with Carl regularly. I wasn't at that point. And people would kind of like, yeah, like they threw some shade at him. Now, mind you, he's tapping him out nonstop with footlocks, all different types of footlocks. Fast forward about 15 years. Ever heard of Ryan Gordon? Like, uh, like all of a sudden, be messing with the feet didn't just become cool. It's like a 
upset. Like people are obsessed with the feet and the, some of the same people obsessed with leg locks now were the same ones throwing shade back then. Now let's look at dog training. There are a certain, you know, nothing's new. Yeah. There are things that people have been doing forever. But let someone popular do it or someone with a little bit of, uh, of social clout. And all of a sudden it's, oh my God, that's so cool. And that, it's like, dude, that's been like, people have been doing that forever. <laughs> like, that's not new. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Wait, didn't you make fun of that? Like 10 years ago? I think I got the post. I got the screenshot. Like <laughs> it's this, it's interesting, you know, to kind of look at dogs and what we do in, in that context and, and see the similarities. But I think, I, I don't think that's special. And what I mean by that is, I think when we look at all these different topics, and that's why we talk about everything here, everything. Yeah. There is over, there's overlap in life. Yeah. In life, there's so many things because it's about, you know, you guys always hear me talking about principle over method. Like if we understand the why behind things, you know, it, it unlocks so many doors, not just in the application of methods, but in understanding things. Uh, something you said earlier that I was processing because I always have like a million things going on in my head at one time. You're talking about top and bottom game, right? Well, I'm the opposite. I was this, you know, I got very comfortable very early on with guard. And that's why I got pretty, pretty damn good at sweeps because I was always playing from, from the bottom to the point where to me, rather than face the challenge of starting right off the bat and getting top position, I took the I took the easy way up, full transparency. Like I took the easy way out for me. At that time, I was 150 pounds, if you can believe that. Um, I was the smallest guy at one point, then the small, second smallest guy in my gym. And it was just easier to just pull guard and then sweep them. We're tapping from the bottom. And I got really good at that. Then when I had some real life encounters or I had some situations that were play, but with no rules, you know, I was, I was getting the shit kicked out of me. Like it, it, it was just, it was brutal. We, we, you know, if we experience something, some level of perceived success as a result of a path we've chosen, it can blind us to where that path will lead us. And it can blind, it can set us up for like, you know, fast forward 15 years, even though I'm not training like at all right now, like when I do get on the mat, like I'm not pulling guard anymore. Like everything I'm doing is no, you take the hard way, dude. Cause it's going to pay off. Like, nope, you got to get on top. You got to do this. You got to do this. Stop relying on these things that work in very specific contexts, but don't have a broader application. Now let's talk about dogs. And this is for all you dog trainers. Well, no, this is for everybody. This applies to pet owners, dog owners, even competitive handlers. Um, but something I've been speaking about lately, you know, you know, and for those who don't know, I, I work with dog trainers now, like a lot more, um, helping them with their business, not just the dog training part, but understanding the nature of their business and how to be an entrepreneur. So there's always some interesting conversations when it comes to sales. And especially when you start talking about prices. Something that a lot of trainers struggle with is pricing themselves appropriately and fairly. 
many people undervalue. They they price too low. You start talking to them and dig it in. Well, why? Why haven't you raised your prices? Why haven't you? And it all comes back to the same thing. Well, they're scared of not getting the sale. They're scared of not getting the client. So rather, that's me pulling guard. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I experienced that's, this. That's your this butt scooting. Yes. Yes. Like, this is my little safe spot. This is where I have a, I have perceived a certain level of success. I'm getting what I want. I'm getting clients. I don't want to raise the price well, because my sales skills are lacking. Or And that, that's a whole other rabbit hole to get into the psychology of why people do that. Um, but it's like, okay, let's look at the big picture, though. You're, you're here because you're struggling. You have no personal life. You're taking on too many clients. You're overworked. You're overstressed. Be because you have too many clients. If you're that booked, then you need to raise your prices. Yep. And look at look at where this has gotten you. This mindset of this is like the sweet spot. This is where I'm comfortable. But yeah, but look at where it's gotten you. You're miserable. You're struggling. Or there's all these other problems that have arisen. That for me, you know, pulling guard all the time, playing from the bottom. Then you start playing with the big boys. You start getting with good guys. You're not sweeping them. Or if you if there's punches involved, you're getting your face caved in. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I played this game because it was safe over here. It didn't get me anywhere good. And that's where so many dog trainers are struggling is they 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 didn't get the right instruction. They didn't get the right guidance. They didn't get the right coaching. They created habits. They built a system that worked for them on a, on a small scale, but they're miserable everywhere else. And they have all these other problems because of it. And so that's what I work on with them is like, all right, let's talk about it. Let's let's dig in, and I mean, too much. I'm not going to review that here. It's just too much. Yeah, that's what we have to do, and it's the same thing. The overlap is everywhere, man. And you know, kind of, I'll just kind of chime in on the the sales part of things too. It's like I help a lot with like we talk, I talked. I help mentor some upcoming dog trainers. You know, we do a shadow program and everything. And one thing like people have always talked to us because our price points, you know, I feel like our price points are, we're going to bump them up here again pretty soon just because the that's what we, the nature of the business and we're in much more demand um, and we continue to do. But I, I believe, I believe we're much more demand just because one, if if you charge a specific amount, um, obviously it's the reason why you're charging is because that's where you're valued at and you've proven that you're valued at it by the demand that you have with a specific amount being charged, right? Um, but I think it also reinforces the fact that if you're charging a significant amount, you know, just as you being like, for me, like I care about the product that I produce and the product I produce is my service, right? So like my service is always going to get better. I always want it to get better. It's never going to stay the same. It's always going to develop and continue to get better because I believe there's always refinement. You know, you can always refine things. You always get better at things, whether it's customer experience, client experience. Um, you know, if you have spend a little, if you charge a little more money, you take in less clients, which means you can focus in on the clients that you have, uh, you know, a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of things that happen to it. But another element of it, too, because one of like a lot of my mentees and shadows always ask me, they're like, Mike, like you guys never do sales. Like we never we Primal Canine has had, a, I think. Seven years ago was our last sale. And I I tell them, I was like, yeah, I was like, because, you know, my services aren't getting cheaper, they're getting the quality is getting better. So, I mean, the price is going to either remain the same or going to go up. 
So when that sale runs out, you know, I'm not going to devalue my one. I'm not going to devalue the services that we have because that just devalues the product and the service in general. But also it creates an expectation from the clientele to wait like, oh, hey, oh, no, they'll have a, a spring sale, a summer sale, a fall sale. And while that sale, yes, may generate revenue right then and there uh, for you, but it will eventually, one, it'll crowd the ability that you have to taking clients who are spending, you know, twice or whatever, 75% more, how, whatever your sale is, take availability from them for a lower price point when that service is valued at this higher price point, but you're selling it at a lower price point and it just kind of crowds your, your stream up here where if you just hold to a specific, this is what I'm this is what my price is. This is why my price is this way. And this is what it's going to continue to be. Then there's just, that's just it. You know, there's no playing the game of, all right, I got to do this ad campaign for this sale. It's like, no, this is what we're set. This is what our price is. And we continuously go from there. And that's, that's stuff that I always talk to a lot, talk to a lot of my, uh, you know, clients, I guess, or, you know, have more partners in that sense where I'm like, Hey, like, no, there's no sales in this. Cause this isn't a piece of tech. This isn't a video that I've already shot one time. This isn't like, you know, no product in that sense. This is a service that we're performing every day or you know whenever we have our clients in front of us or training that dog every single day this is time consumed and time and effort put forward not just one time but continuously throughout you know seven days a week sales are like pulling guard yeah that's when you get scared you're like oh shoot man winter's coming i'm gonna lose some <laughs> i'm gonna lose some stuff and and unfortunately and you know nothing against people who do sales but Unfortunately, you do see a lot of people pulling guard consistently, you know, and it's you see it all the time. Like, you know, people are like, oh, winter's coming, sale, summer sale, summer sale. And then then when we get the phone calls from like, well, so and so is offering it for this much. I'm like, awesome. That's not what we're offering it for. But, you know, good, you know, good for them or, you know, whatever it may be. You know, that, but I think just in the core aspect of the dog training culture and this may be, I don't know, it might be offensive to some people, maybe whatever. I think if we pull sales and in general for, because, you know, if you think about it, like when we talk about, oh, when someone asks you for what you do for a living, they're like, oh, I'm a dog trainer. I'm doing this. Immediately, the general thought process of the person asking you, and you, we, we've used this conversation in different contexts before. They're like, oh, you get to play with puppies all day. Or they get to do this, like you're, the, you know, the job isn't looked at it as doesn't looked at as like, you'd, like what the profession that it is. Because I mean, I've I've had other professions before, you know, you as well, and I have other companies that we do different things. But like dog training itself is a profession. It is a learnt skill over years, and to become proficient at it, you have to invest time, years of it. You don't just go learn. You don't go to like. Don't take an online boat. course in six weeks and get a certification and become a dog trainer. Oh, wait. Yeah. This is like that. I mean, like, dude, I mean, I mean, I was recently in the hospital and, you know, like the, you know, when you do the x-ray tech, like how long, how many, I mean, nothing against x-ray techs, but like, you know, you learn that profession quite going through a technical, you know, whatever school or university to do that. Whereas being a dog trainer, you know, you take a variety of different apprentices, you put your hands on leashes, you work for free for a long period of time. Uh, to become proficient at it. And I see this and, you know, I slowed down my own apprentices where I'm like, they're like, oh, well now I can, you know, I've went through this school, that school, I've got this many dogs. Like they look at it as a, a cumulative amount of hours, like a number, right? Like I've done it for this many hours, so this much mean I'm this like, no, 
it's your i've been doing this dog training for you know over close to two decades now and like i'm still refining things i'm still you know going through things i'm still getting better and better and better and like that's one of the things like we know when we t- going back to the original subject of it you know imagine if as dog trainers we never did sales and all we did was you know we get better so prices get better i think a lot of it what it does is it creates a better community aspect for dog trainers one and two it also creates a little more and katie you're probably better with the words with this one but it i want to say create a little more of a premium or a positive uh correlation to when you go oh my profession is dog training you know like my perfect like what i do for living is dog training so it's not like oh you get to play with puppies it's like more viewed as as what i think it feel it should be where you, for a lot of the times like you know you are essentially you know you're a therapist you're a behaviorist you know you're a freaking you're an ad like you're an animal train you're training an animal you're 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 training somebody you're you have a you wear a lot of hats being a professional dog trainer and that's just going into the pet side not even looking at it when it comes to you know major behavioral cases or you know bite work or you know whether it's in sport because you know there's a variety of different forms of bite work you know in different sports different methodologies and theories and those things you know, and then you go into personal protection, law enforcement, you know, things where lives are on the line. So, I mean, when someone says, you know, dog trainer, and this is why I don't feel like as dog trainers, when you do a sale or, you know, you lower your prices, you kind of devalue what the term dog training is, dog trainer, dog trainer is, and, you know, what the art of art and profession of being a dog trainer, you know, in the reality, what it really is. I, I agree 100%. I think one of the contributing issues it's one that I deal with regularly more than ever now because I am working with dog trainers and what am I working with them on? Well, they don't know how to run a business. So you can't complain about not being treated like a professional when you don't know how to be a professional. Facts. I mean, I mean, that's a mic drop moment right there. I'll say it myself. I'll take the mic off. I'll throw it on the ground. You can't complain about not being treated like a professional when you don't know how to be a professional. And there, you know, there will be people who will get all like, oh, oh, what do you mean? Oh, how dare you? No, like let's call it what it is. You're taking phone calls all night long. You're not setting appropriate boundaries with clients. You're you're dealing with all kinds of problems in your business that are totally avoidable because you just don't know how to run a business. Well, that contributes to it. So everyone who sees you, that's going to contribute to their perspective perception of what a dog trainer is someone who's good with animals they play with puppies and they're frazzled they're stressed out they're they're all these things that we don't typically associate with being professional like a professional has their shit together and so many dog trainers are struggling because they don't have their shit together and it's it's fixable that's why i don't have a problem saying that like it's they can get their shit together if they start investing in themselves they find somebody I don't care who it is. I don't have to be me. Like there's plenty of people out there who they can find who can help them with that part of it so they can be more professional. They can be more competent at everything else involved. And you know, like you see their communications with clients and they're sharing the screenshots and this and that. And it's like, dude, you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we always tell our clients, you know, the dog treats you like our pet clients. Like we tell them the dog treats you the way you allow them to treat you. Well, the same, Hey, dog trainer, follow your own advice. Your clients treat you the way you train them to treat you. 
And this contributes, I think, in general to how people view the industry. You know, they're always going to pick out pieces, right? And that becomes the icon. That becomes the, that, that's who they view it as. And, you know, that spills over into the, these incredibly toxic, super toxic perspectives when dog trainers who aren't doing well with their business and managing all the aspects of that, they see other people in the space crushing it. So rather than be like, what can I learn from you? They, they, they trash them. They put them down. Oh, well, you know, you, you know da, 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 da. well, okay. Maybe they're not the best mm -hmm. dog trainer. I mean, the reality is there's going to be people out there who aren't going to provide the same results. You are, maybe they're not as good. The results aren't as good, but they're doing really well. Well, rather than just like talk crap about them and isolate yourself even more and, and take yourself even farther away from a goal, you may not want to admit that you want to have. Like, why do that? Why not go, okay, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of your training. But you're doing something right and everything yep. else that's just under that loop. But, you know, that's not how people, you know, that's not how the weak mindset is. People would rather just point the finger and, oh, well, I, I don't want to be good at that because look at that horrible person. They're good at that. Well, what does one have to do with the other? The, what does one have to do with the other? Uh, yeah. I laugh because it's pretty funny. Like you... <laughs> We have like a, I don't, even want, I don't even want to phrase it that way, I guess I So, you know, we used to have like, I used to have like apprentices, right? And I had a, a friend and, you know, you see people, like, especially with online, they're like, oh man, like, I don't understand why this person is doing so well with that. And like, you know, they have all these followers or they're doing all these, getting these, all, all these opportunities. And, you know, when their dog training isn't the greatest or whatever like that, um, and, uh, and you know, my response was always like, it doesn't matter. I was like, in reality, like, you should look at it, like, I know what you said, you should look at it in a way that's like, one, it's good for the industry, because there's someone who is using styles of training who may not necessarily be accept, you know, accepted, and it's become accepted on a ma mainstream level, it's getting out there to more people, the message is getting out there to more people, the people are able to see the training. And, you know, if anything, it should be a focal point on, okay, cool. Like if I like these things and I want those things that this person has and I want other stuff, then you should start focusing on the, let's say the deficits that you have, maybe in, you know, some cases, like for me in jujitsu, the bottom game <laughs> that like I've, I work on consistently, you know, to improve on, maybe you should work on your bottom game. Maybe you should work on your top game. Maybe you should work on, you know, developing these things that you see that, you know, obviously make you feel jealous about this person, you know, in order to bring this up to me. Maybe you should focus on those aspect of things, you know, because it's easy to point out, you know, small things when you're when you're trying not to look at your own flaws. You know, you're it's easy to be like, well, this person sucks at this because I don't want to look at I suck at that. You know, like I'm not doing those things. You know, it's it's pretty interesting. But I think like if you look at, you know, you know what I look at it in the industry and I look at it as in dog training, like I look at opportunities or just opportunities to do things. You know, like when we when I, you know, I'm, I'm going to shamelessly plug you know, something right now, but I have two new products. <laughs> I have uh, two new products that are dropping this week or next week. So I remember when well, I'll start with the first one. So I have uh, the, uh, that's this brand and I'm, this, this is ironic that I'm wearing it, uh, but oh, Omerta. So I partnered with Omerta a year and a half ago. I don't really part. Well, we collaborate on a few shirts and I have another shirt dropping 
this week. Well, already the commercial should drop this week, and I think they're going to be ready for fulfill to fulfill it uh, by next week or maybe the end of this week. But I remember when I got with that brand and you know Primal Canaan at the time, what we were doing, I, I believe we were the first ones to ever team up with a streetwear brand uh, that had no connections to the dog world, and we produced like the Pack Life shirt and this new shirt's called Pack Life. This is Pack Life only. I'll send you the commercial later, Kitty, so you can check it out before it goes out there. Um, but I remember talking to some of the guys like in our camp. They're like, well, what? They're like, you know, immediately it goes to like, well, what do they, what, what, do, why do they want to work with you? Like, what, like, it was like, not like, oh, hey, cool. Like, you know, great. You know, like, you know, that's awesome. Like, great. They were doing this. And they're like, oh, well, why, why would they want to work with you? And they're like, well, what's the point of that? It's not dog training. I was like, yeah, that's the whole point. It's not dog training. It's working with another brand that I like, that I like. I, I agree. I, it kind of aligns with who I am, like, or what the company, the culture that we have. And I was like, and I was like, on the business aspect of things, it's progression towards a whole other group of people who may not even know dog training is like an actual thing or their dogs may need dog training or, you know, it's just a whole other market because as dog trainers, and I feel like this is probably the same thing in every other industry, you guess you think of yourself in this bubble, like, like you, you even, like you said earlier in, in the comedy, in, in reality of like a jujitsu and a in or in what the, I don't know what the term is, but in terms of jujitsu, right? You're like, all right, like I pull guard here and it works out really successful here in this one guard. But then you put that into real world aspects that they, in real world aspects where you can get punched in the face and it doesn't work out so well, right? So in dog training, you can look at yourself as just a dog trainer and you only fulfill it. You only see yourself as a dog trainer. And that can be the problem when it comes to the business aspect uh, and growing your company, growing your, your self-worth, your net worth, you know, all the other things your company's worth. But if you look at it as dog training as a business and dog business in general, you know, these business opportunities where you can branch out and work with something that's completely outside of the scope of dog training, it's only for the betterment of the dog training business, the better for your business and having the eyes to do that. And, you know, a lot of it's just guts because you never know, like a lot of people are afraid to take chances. Luckily, I'm not one of those, uh, those people, as you can tell, Katie. Uh, so you know, when you took the chance, we took the chance to do this partnership with our merchant for the first one, you know, now we're on freaking short shirt number four, you know, we're on shirt number four with them. And um, I, this is the one I'm actually the most excited about, you know, it's, it, we branched out and, you know, in, in reverse, you know, Ray Allen kind of did the same thing with me, you know, when Ray Allen was switching their branding uh, and, you know, kind of switching their marketing or shifting their marketing over, you know, Matt Wilson, you know, hit me in the DMs. And, you know, ever since then, we've had, you know, we have another product. This is my other shameless plug. Uh, another product dropping, I believe, well, we shoot the commercial today. And I already have stock, I'll have stock of it by the end of the week. And it's the Incog shirt. So that's another product out there. But, you know, they did another aspect. They went from, you know, this is just Ray, this is Ray Allen. You know, we've been training dog, we've been making dog gear before there was dog training, you know, that whole thought process. Uh, to now, you know, doing the collaborations they've done with Primal Canaan and myself, with what they've been doing with, you know, some of our other mutual friends and, you know, expanding and becoming more of more of the culture. If you notice, you know, what the job that Matt Wilson has done, he's done a great job over there with them. And I think like that's one of like the cool parts about it. You know, it's like focusing, not nitpicking at other people for the little things that you may be just being not self-reflecting and you see something that you're lacking in and you see someone else is strong in, and you want to pick on that versus be like, Hey, I need to get better at it. But okay. Like that was a weak point of mine. Now let's just get better and get better all together type of a thing. But yeah. Shameless plug. Our Merta pack life only drop coming soon and in shirt coming soon. So 
with Ray Allen. Looking forward <laughs> to seeing it. Yeah, everything you said, man, spot on. People need to, hopefully some people are watching this one and like doing some thinking. Like, does everything you just said. You had a moment there, Mike. It was awesome. I had my KD moment. Proudy. Shout out, shout out to you, YouTube guy. I said some talking <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Spot on, man. Like, I don't even have anything to add to that because I, I no, but what he said with that guy. There said. you go. Well, on that note, let's wrap it up here. Katie's finishing his espresso. Yeah, and go let's end some... on that. And now what? <laughs> so. So huge shout out to our sponsors, uh, our sponsor, Ray Allen, rayallen.com forward slash K9SL. Use the primal 10 code for additional discounts. And Katie, let people, like you brought up your, your program that you're working on or that you're doing right now too. How can people, let's say they, they want help on their business. They, yep. they want to get better, not even just better at business, just better in general as a person and everything like that, become that professional. How do they get a hold of you? How do they reach out to you for that? The easiest way is going to be through Instagram at KD Matthews, one T absolute easiest way. You can always go to my website, uh, Socratic K9 K9 is spelled out. Um, fill out the contact page there. Uh, I'm all over Facebook. You can find me there as well, but definitely Instagram. If you're not already following me, at least click the follow button and shoot me a DM. Either my, my assistant goes through all of those for me and the message requests and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Highly suggest you guys doing that. Uh, if you need any help with that stuff so uh again thank you brother always uh thank fun you. doing these talks and you know thank getting more of this thing. stuff out there and then we're on to uh the next one here next week awesome thanks brother. all right brother have a good day the rest of you too